Well, friends, this morning we are starting a new series together uh, in worship, uh, a series that I imagine will be a little bit different, but hopefully uh, still very interesting and really enjoyable. Our new series is called Show and Tell the Early Church. So to make a long story short, um, I've actually, thanks to online auctions, gotten a chance to get a hold of a few uh, trinkets and mementos from church history over the past year. So the idea with this series is that each Sunday this month, I'll show us all some uh, item that I've gotten a hold of from earliest Christianity, and then together we'll talk about uh, that artifact and how it speaks to our history as Christians and how it speaks to who we are as people of faith. So hopefully it'll be a, a fun series. Show and tell was always the best day in school growing up. Uh, but that being said, I do also have to give, uh, I guess, a, a caution that we're also starting off the series by taking a look at a somewhat heavy subject together, uh, church and state, faith and politics and what that looked like in the earliest church. It is a heavy subject that, well, Typically, regardless of where you may stand, regardless of political beliefs, whenever we turn to scripture, Jesus has a tendency to unsettle us, whoever we are, unsettle us, whatever we believe. But that is always, I guess, a good thing to be tolerably uncomfortable as Christ uh, keeps pushing us a little bit. Uh, but hopefully those two things also balance themselves out. It's a heavy subject, but we're having kind of a fun and unique way of looking at it. But for our first uh, Sunday of show and tell, I have for you all two Roman coins from the fourth century. Uh, it, and they're way too small for you to see, but uh, Harry, if you can show, I uh, got them up on uh, slides. But both of these coins, they were stamped 17,000 years ago, between the years uh, 312 and the year 340 in the Roman Empire. Both coins have the Emperor Constantine on them, uh, one from the beginning of his reign and one from the very end of his reign, just after his death. And taken together, these two coins have, I think, a very powerful lesson and a very powerful reminder for us about that intersection of, of church and state. And our scripture reading uh, that goes along with these two coins is uh, from the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 33 to 38. Friends, listen now for the word of the Lord. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? And Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king, and for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. 
Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, what is truth? Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, please pray with me. Christ, our King, Lord of all truth, if this message speaks your truth this morning, then may it be heard and may it resonate with someone here and be remembered. But Lord, if this message does not speak your truth, then let it be forgotten in an instant. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Just before he was sentenced to death for the crime of being a Christian, a Roman citizen named Sparatus once told his judge, I do not recognize the empire of this world. Rather, I serve that God whom no one has seen. I know my Lord, the King of kings and emperor of all nations. Sadly, Sparatus was not the only person to be executed for the crime of worshiping Jesus of Nazareth, the convicted criminal from Galilee. For 300 years after Jesus' crucifixion, Christians were a persecuted minority, condemned and hunted by the same empire that once put their Lord on a cross. And after 300 years of arrests and trials and martyrdoms, almost overnight, everything changed. In the year 312, a new emperor rose to power in Rome, whose name was Constantine. At first, Constantine kept to tradition. He worshipped the old Roman gods. His personal favorite deity, I mean, the Roman pantheon had hundreds of gods. Constantine's personal favorite was the pagan god Sol Invictus, the god of the unconquered sun. And so many of his first coins issued reflected that pagan devotion of his. That's our first bit of show and tell, the coin with the green tint on it. On one side is Constantine the victor, dressed in full battle armor, and on the other side, a pagan deity with the words, Soli Invicto, to the unconquered sun, just above it. But that unconquered sun god was soon conquered by a very different son of God. Within a year of taking power, Constantine issued an edict that for the very first time made Christianity a legal religion. He ended the persecution, but that wasn't all. Soon, this new emperor actually began to favor the Christian church. He made Christian churches exempt from paying state taxes. He gave Christian bishops and leaders legal power to settle civic cases. He built 
grand basilicas covered in gold and silver. He built a new capital city, Constantinople, that would be full of Christian churches instead of pagan temples. He convened the first church council in history at Nicaea in 325, and on his deathbed in 337, Constantine became the very first emperor in history to receive Christian baptism. And just after his death, his sons commissioned a new coin commemorating their father, our second piece of show and tell. On one side of the coin is a portrait of Constantine, but he's no longer wearing battle armor. He is now wearing the robes of a devout holy man, the robes of a priest. And on the other side is an image of Constantine driving a chariot while reaching up towards the sky as the hand of God reaches down to carry him up into heaven. Two coins show how in 24 years, in less than one lifetime, Christianity went from a persecuted cult to the imperial state religion itself. Two coins show how in 24 years the Roman emperor went from worshiping a sun god to worshiping the son of God as a pious Christian. How in 24 years the church went from a broke community of criminals to wealthy, privileged power brokers. And while many at the time praised this as nothing short of miraculous, hailed Constantine as God's chosen servant and praised the Roman Empire as God's instrument on earth, there was just one problem. It was all a lie. It was a fraud, a hoax, a con, a great scam that millions of Christians everywhere bought hook line and sinker. While there are a handful of hopeful holdouts, the sad truth is Constantine almost certainly did not convert to Christianity out of pious love for Jesus Christ. He converted because it was one of the most brilliant political moves in history. Constantine didn't make Christianity legal because he loved God so much, but because he knew that Christianity as a religion could hold his vast empire together in a way that none of the disjointed old pagan cults ever could. Constantine didn't build grand opulent basilicas and give priests actual power because he wanted to strengthen the body of Christ, but because he knew that a network of powerful churches could be his new network of administration. And Constantine didn't pray in public, give generously for all to see, and found a grand new capital named after himself in order to grow in discipleship, but because he was out to grow in popularity. He got votes of support for his faith. And while Constantine did a phenomenal job of convincing the public, convincing the world that he was a humble, devout Christ follower behind closed doors, we now know Constantine was the same sociopathic 
power-hungry, egocentric, mass murderer he had always been. Even after the spectacle of his public conversion, Constantine betrayed allies. He ordered massacres. He murdered his own wife, killed one of his sons, and even had his 10-year-old nephew executed because the boy might one day have been a political rival. Constantine used the church to advance his own power. He used the name of Christ to further his own interests. He used faith to convince people that he was such a good guy. And the church has never really been the same. Constantine was the first, but sadly he was not the last person in history to use the church and faith to advance their own agenda, especially here especially in our context. How many politicians have we heard play to our faith and exploit religious issues all so they could win our vote? How many times have political parties claimed to be God's party, doing God's will in the world? How many pious photo ops have we seen of devout leaders standing in front of churches or by religious leaders? How many times have political parties invoked the name of God in their great crusades to make their political kingdom come when the kingdom of God may have looked very, very different. 300 years before these two pieces of religious propaganda were struck, another Roman official tried to advance his own agenda by using not just the church, but by using the Messiah himself. In the year 30 AD, Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect of Judea, met with the seditious treasonous Jesus of Nazareth. From the moment that Pilate enters the gospel story, it is meant to be apparent that he is a very calculating man looking for opportunity. Pilate was governor of Judea, but he could not stand the Jewish people that he ruled over. Pilate to be frank, was an anti-Semite if ever there was one, and a man who committed atrocities against the Jewish people, some of which the gospel actually records. Notice the fact that in verse 34 at the beginning of that whole trial scene, when Jesus just asks Pilate if others have told you about me, Pilate actually snaps back, I am not a Jew, am I? Insulted by the thought of being associated with these people. Pilate has his own political agenda. He is looking for an opportunity to humiliate the Jews, to glorify the Roman Empire, to feed his own ego, and he thinks this would-be Messiah is just the ticket. But what Pilate does not expect, or at the very least, what Pilate cannot understand is the kingdom that Jesus offers. Pilate asks at the start of the trial, what is it that you have done? What exactly are you accused of doing? He couldn't care less, but what are the charges? And in verse 36, Jesus first affirms that what he has not done is led an armed revolt. 
Many of his followers wanted him to. Everyone at the time had weapons ready, and at the drop of the hat, Jesus could have stormed Jerusalem, but he did not. He refused every notion of violence and every political agenda that even flirted with bloodshed. If my kingdom were of this world, he says, my followers would be fighting, but they are not because my kingdom is not of this world. That's a phenomenal statement for Jesus to make. My kingdom is not of this world. Christ Jesus says that he is a king. Christ says that his kingdom is close, that it is breaking through even now. And Christ says that his kingdom is unlike any of the worldly kingdoms, nations, empires, parties, or powers that we have grown accustomed to. It is a kingdom defined by self-giving compassion rather than the self-asserting judgment we're sometimes used to. It is a kingdom where the love of God, love of neighbor, even love of enemy trumps any petty notions of winning or losing that we're accustomed to. It is a kingdom bound by faith in God rather than bound by fear of a neighbor made into a villain. It is a kingdom of truth that builds all of us up rather than lies that sometimes tear us down and all the pilots all the Constantines, all the powers and parties of this world may try to use it, may pretend to be part of it, may deceive with false piety stamped on coins, but they can never have it. It is a sad fact that there will always be groups, leaders, parties, nations, and kingdoms in this world who try to use our faith, our church, our savior to further their own interests. There will always be Pilots and Constantines who tried to convince us that their kingdom is the kingdom and who will use everything from pictures to speeches to coins in order to do so. But the good news is somewhere behind that tragic fact they can never have it. Constantine could lie and millions could believe it, but all the lies of this world cannot silence Christ's truth. Pilate could be a bigot and thousands can scream and point angry fingers, but the hate of this world cannot overwhelm Christ's compassion. Empires can rise and fall. Nations can change and crumble. But the glory and disaster of this world cannot touch Christ's kingdom come. And no matter whether the speeches we hear, news we see, and coins we carry are true or not, all the politics of this world cannot Keep us from saying as Sparatus did to his judge, I know my Lord, the King of kings. Christ reigns. The kingdom comes. It is coming. And it will never be a kingdom of this world, no matter how hard this world tries to pull it down. 
And no matter how hard this world tries to stop us, it will always be a kingdom of God where all of us are welcome and where all of us can find grace. And thanks be to God for it. Amen. Friends, please join with me in prayer. Christ Jesus, you alone are King of kings and Lord of life, and it is in your kingdom that we have placed our hope. Lord, nations rise and fall, but Lord, your kingdom is unshaken. Empires conquer and collapse, but Lord, your grace is forever. Leaders come and leaders go, but Lord, you are Savior to the end. So Christ, help us this morning to rededicate and recommit ourselves to your rule and your will. Give us the wisdom to distinguish between your kingdom come and today's temporary agendas that try to claim us. Give us the minds to see through every false face that tries to use your name or our faith for glory. God, give us the strength to be builders of your kingdom come and ambassadors of your new life that is breaking through even this morning. Lord, claim our allegiance, take our devotion, and make us citizens of your reign. In your name we pray. Amen.